There is in New York City, and if you probably, obviously we've all seen pictures of the New York skyline, there is the Citicorp building in New York City. And when it was built in 1977, it was the seventh tallest building in the world. And it was really hailed for its technical ingenuity and its grace. And the guy that built it was an engineer by William, named William J. Lemessieux. And the architects and the engineering society was so impressed by the Citicorp building that they elected him into the Academy of Engineering, the National Academy of Engineering, which is the highest degree uh, an engineer can uh, have. And so he had built this tremendous building in New York City, the Citicorp building. But one year after it had opened, Le Monsieur realized that there had been a humongous mistake. He realized that the Citicorp Tower was flawed. What had happened, and it wasn't really his fault, but when they were putting the steel beams together, instead of welding them, they actually bolted them together. Now that was common practice of the day, but the problem was, because of the height and the way the building was designed, Le Monsieur was afraid that if there was a sudden downdraft, that the building, or a non-perpendicular wind, that the building may not stand. So Le Monsieur had to make a decision. Here he had been elected to the National Academy of Engineering, highest honor, and yet the building for which he was put into that academy was flawed. So he could either take his chances and not say anything and hope that there's never a hard wind, non-perpendicular wind that would hit that building and hopefully that would never happen and the building would stand and nobody would know about it. Of course, on the other hand, if he didn't say something about it, then that building might get hit with a wind and it might collapse, killing thousands of people. But he would probably lose his award. So Le Monsieur weighed his options and he decided that he would tell the powers that be that the building was flawed and that it was dangerous. And he knew that he may lose his license, he may be faced with multiple lawsuits, but lives were at stake. And so La Monsieur went and he told the city and the leaders that the building had a flaw in it and that if it ever got hit with the right kinds of winds, it could collapse. Now, surprisingly, the city leaders did not slap him with lawsuits, but the question was, how can we fix it? And so they went into the building, they retrograded all those bolted plates and welded them shut, and, and they began the next year fixing the building, and three months later, the building was finished and fixed, and now was strong enough to withstand any sort of storm that would ever hit it. And even though this could have cost La Masseur his credentials and lawsuits, in fact, it made him more prevalent because people were so astounded that he was willing to put everything on the line so that he would tell the truth so that thousands of lives would be saved, millions of dollars would be spared. And in fact, one engineer commended him for being a man who had the courage to say, I've got a problem, we've got to fix it. And you know, here's the thing. You can either be like Le Monsieur and say, I've got a problem, I need to fix it. Or you can take the other road and say, eh, I'm not going to deal with it. I'm just going to sweep it under the rug. 
Now, if you come to Warren Baptist, you know that we talk a lot about this word repentance. And let me just tell you what it means. Because many years ago, I was at a church, um, and it was a prosperity church. It's a very famous church, and I happened to be in town uh, at the time. And so I told Laura, I said, let's go visit this church. I've just seen this guy on uh, TBN. And uh, so let's just go check this out. Uh, and so we went. And um, the famed preacher wasn't there that morning, but they had another preacher of the same uh, prosperity gospel type. And so he was preaching on the word repentance. And he said, let me tell you what repentance means. Re means again. Pent is short for penthouse. And it means be back in the penthouse again. Be back on top again in life. Well, let me tell you, I just about fell out of my chair. I probably should have stood up and yelled out false teacher because that is not what repentance means. Repentance means to turn around. It means to change your mind. It means to turn from your sin. It means to turn around from the way you've been living, to change your mind about the way you've been living, to say, this is not right. God says this is not right. I'm going to turn around. I'm going to turn back. And probably one of the most powerful psalms as we wrap up this series talking about this topic of repentance and showing us what it looks like is Psalm 51. So if you have your Bibles, uh, it's also, if you have the Pew Bible there, you can uh, turn to that. And uh, it's on page 313. If you have the Pew Bible there in front of you, you're welcome to use that. Um, so it's Psalm 51. And most people probably know Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And probably right behind that would be Psalm 51. This psalm was written by David. As you know, the story, David is the most powerful king uh, to have ever reigned in Israel. He ruled from 1010 to 970. And, and he was a, a, a king that really trusted God. You probably know, if you've ever been in Sunday school for any amount of time, you've probably heard the story of David and Goliath. Anybody heard that story? You know, even though he's a little boy, you know, he trusted God and he threw the stone, you know, in the slingshot and it killed Goliath. And so, and then he became very famous. He was very successful as a military leader, and then he was anointed by Samuel, the prophet Samuel, to become the next king. The problem was the current king was still on the throne, King Saul. Saul didn't like that. Saul tried to kill David. David was on the run, um, and ultimately Saul commits uh, suicide in battle, and David becomes the king. And David, though, was this man who just loved God. In fact, he's the only person that was ever called, quote, a man after God's own heart. And so David was, he wrote a lot of the psalms that's in, in those psalms here. He was handpicked by God to be the king of Israel. He was blessed by God in battle. He had a great relationship with God. And so much so that David had a unique relationship with God. You have to understand that before Jesus came and died on the cross, people were not indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. But David was. He was one of those rare individuals in the Old Testament time that had such a close relationship that God's Spirit dwelt inside of David. But here's the thing. Even though he was this great king, great military leader, a man indwelt by the Spirit of God, a man after God's own heart, David was not invincible. He was a man. He was a human. He had what all of us have, a sinful nature. And you probably know this story because it's a very fam famous story of David's life. 
uh, kings go off to war. David doesn't go off to war like he should have. He's probably maybe an older gentleman. He's up all night walking around the rooftop. He looks down. He sees Bathsheba taking a bath on the rooftop. You have to understand in that day the king's palace was up on the hill overlooking the city. People went on the rooftop because that was the coolest place. So what she's doing wasn't necessarily uncommon, so to speak, but obviously precautions were not made so that the king couldn't see her. And so I don't think she did that intentionally. It's just what happened. And so the king sees her. Lust fills his heart. He asks to have her brought to him. Of course, who's going to say no to the king? But, you know, one person said, isn't this, you know, Uriah's wife? And David ignores that, <clears throat> brings about Sheba, as you probably know the story. Uh, he, he commits adultery with her. She gets pregnant. <clears throat> he gets really nervous. What's going to happen if people find out? So he brings Uriah back from the battle, uh, hoping that Uriah will go home and spend the night with his wife. He doesn't. This happens for a couple nights. Uriah refuses to go home. David finally says, this guy's not going to go home to his wife because he's loyal, and he doesn't want to be enjoying the luxuries of home while his men are fighting. So he sends Uriah back to the battle, but he has, sends instructions to the leader that, hey, when the fighting gets, put Uriah on the front lines, and when the fighting gets tough, pull back, and we're going to hope that he gets killed. And he does. And so David effectively murders Bathsheba's husband. He then takes Bathsheba as his wife, and she has a little boy. And David thinks it's all good. Now, this has all been going on for about a year. And, and during this time, if you remember a few weeks ago, we looked at Psalm 38, which is David really writing about that year period, when he's really, he's just... He knows what he did is wrong. I mean, he committed adultery, basically murdered this guy, and he knows what he did is wrong, but yet he's afraid to admit it. He's kind of he, he's kind of at that cross crossroad like La Masure could have been. Do I admit it or do I not? Do I say there was a huge mistake or do I not? Again, La Masure could have not admitted it and just assumed for the best and hope for the best, and that's what David was doing. But instead, La Monsieur admitted it. But David wasn't really ready to do that. And so for almost a year passed, and David is just feeling the pressure and the weight of his sin. And as you know the story, or you may or may not know the story, uh, David is, one day the, his little boy's been born, and Nathan the prophet comes in. Nathan tells David a story. David gets all upset, and Nathan sticks his finger at him and says, You're that guy who killed and Nathan just nails David to the wall. And David knows at that point he has been found out. He has been called out publicly. So David at this point realizes, I'm tired of running. And David at this point repents. And I want to share with you one thought this morning, and then we're just going to talk about it here, and that is this. Repentance is required for a relationship with God. You see, either you're running to God or you're running away from God. And if you want to run to God, that means you have to turn from your sin and self and run to God. And if you want to have, if you're here this morning or watching by YouTube and you're like, or Facebook and you're like, hey, I, I want to have a relationship with God. If you're here this morning and you want to have a relationship with God, let me tell you, repentance is required to have a relationship with God. Now, let me ask you a question. Growing up, did y'all have a curfew? Most of us probably had a curfew. Be home by, you know, 8 o'clock, hopefully maybe a little longer, 10 o'clock, maybe midnight. If you were ever out past curfew, okay, so you're out past curfew, the date went a little long, 
Were you anxious to get home, looking forward to seeing mom and dad when you got home? Probably most of you were not, because you're figuring mom and dad is waiting up for me, and I am going to get it when I get home, right? Or let's put it maybe another scenario. If mom and dad were gone and you were at the house, maybe you had some siblings, and you guys got a little rough housing and you broke the vase, you know, grandmother's surprise vase, you know, and it tipped over and it shattered. Were you just anxiously looking forward to your parents coming home? Probably not. You were probably hoping they were going to be as gone as long as possible, right? Because if you've done something wrong when you were growing up, the last thing you wanted to do was go home. The last thing you wanted to do was face your parents. Well, David obviously has blown it big time. Adultery, murder, and for a year, roughly, he's ran from God. The last thing he wants to be is with God because he knows he's wrong. But David's been nailed to the wall. And so David writes this psalm, and this is his prayer, and here it is. Psalm 51, verse 1, just the first part. He says, be gracious to me, God. And now some of y'all's translations say, have mercy on me. Now if you ever wonder what the word mercy means, mercy is not getting what you deserve. All right, so if you're late for your curfew and coming home, what you deserve is to be grounded. But when you come home, you're asking, Mom, please, for mercy. I didn't, I didn't, my, the dog broke my watch. I don't know, whatever excuse you came up with. Don't give me what I deserve. I know I deserve to be grounded or I maybe deserve to be spanked or whatever. Okay, we're not going to get that topic. But anyway, I deserve, and you know, spanking doesn't hurt anybody. All right, anyways. I deserve to be, to, mercy. That's what you're claiming, right? If you broke the family vase, you're claiming Mercy. Please don't ground me for a month. So David here, he's like, okay, I've been, I've been had. Okay, God, God knows this. He knew God knew it all along, but he was maybe hoping God didn't know it, but God knew it, and Nathan points it out. So David's first starting off in his prayer of repentance, God, please don't give me what I deserve. I mean, quite frankly, David deserved to be stoned to death under the Old Testament law. And so David starts off with God have mercy. Please be gracious. Be merciful to me. Please, please don't give me what I deserve. And here's the thing. When we're in sin, living in sin, it's not that nobody doesn't know. God knows. And, and, and so David realizes that. And, and you see, a person who becomes a Christ follower, if you're not a Christ follower, if you're wondering what is a Christian, what is a Christ follower, at the beginning point, it's any person that looks at their life, his or her life, and says, you know what, I know I've been living in rebellion against God. In other words, I know I've been lying at times, I've stolen things, I've you know, cussed up storms every once in a while, uh, all those things, and I know that's not what God wants. And I want a relationship with God. So a person who is a Christ follower is a person who at some point in their life said, God have mercy on me. Please don't give me what I deserve. What I deserve is hell. Have mercy on me. Be gracious to me. If you're not a Christ follower and you're wondering, how do I become a Christian? It starts with you saying, have mercy. Please, forgive me. I know I have sinned. 
So David is asking God for mercy. Give mercy. And then look at what he says in the next part. He says, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Again, David is saying, God, I know that your love never ends. I know that your compassion never ends. It's abundant. So please, God, I'm drawing from that well. Please, please, please have mercy. And here's the reality. Let me just tell you something. Because you may be watching today, or you may be even here, and you're like, I can't become a Christian. God, you know, if, if, if only you knew what all I've done. Look. God knows everything you've done. And His mercy is limitless. His grace is limitless. His love is limitless. His compassion is limitless. He's calling for you. Respond to me. And if you will repent, turn around from your sin and say, Lord, have mercy on me. I know I deserve sin. I know I deserve hell. I know I deserve it. Please forgive me. Again, his, he, God, you can never outrun God's mercy, God's love, God's compassion. Just remember this. God's not your accuser. Satan is. Satan is the one who will accuse you. God is a God of love and mercy and compassion, but to have a relationship with Him, repentance is required. <clears throat> and David at this point, <clears throat> for the last year, had not been having the relationship with God he used to have. And he knew it because of his sin. So David was repenting. God, have mercy on me. Don't give me what I deserve. I know your love has no limits. Your compassion has no limits. So please give me some mercy. Here's why repentance is required. Here's why. Because rebellion, when we rebel against God, which is sin, it leads to shame. When you are living contrary to God, there is shame involved. Look at, look at what David says in the last part of verse 51. Uh, verse 1, he says, God, blot out my rebellion. Blot this out. Rebellion, sin, sin is rebellion. Whenever we rebel against God, we're sinning against God. Rebellion is saying, I don't care what God says, I'm going to do it anyway. David knew adultery was wrong. David knew sinning uh, Uriah to the battle lines was wrong. He, he knew that. He, he knew those things was wrong. He knew murder was wrong. He knew what he was wrong. And so David is now turning away from that. He's saying, God, please blot out my rebellion. Don't keep this on your record books anymore. Please, God, don't hold this against me. Please, God, when you open the storybook of my life there, don't, 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 don't let this be on my sin. Do you ever know some people that can never forget anything? Whenever you're in trouble, they remember everything you've always done wrong. You know, one, my, one husband said this about his wife. He says, you know, when me and my wife get into a fight, she doesn't get hysterical, she gets historical. Right? How many times do you do that? You get in a fight, or somebody get in an argument, you bring up everything in the past and things like that. David's request is, God, please don't do this. Now, here's the deal. God doesn't forget anything, okay? God doesn't have amnesia. But what David is asking is, please take, don't hold this against me anymore. Please blot this out. Don't get historical, God. Please take this off of my record. Again, when we're in rebellion, you're not going to have a relationship with God. And, and David did not have that relationship with God. And a repentant person, a person who's churning away, doesn't want that rebellion to be held against them anymore because they're turning away. And, 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 and here, David knew that he, here's the deal. In fact, if you look at the next, next verse, verse 2, everything that David asked for is not anything that he can do. He says, blot out my rebellion, wash away my guilt, cleanse me from my sin. Notice, David can't do any of this. 
David is saying, God, only you can do this. Only you can take away my rebellion, blot it out, or blot out my rebellion. Only you can wash me. Only you can cleanse me. Again, a Christ follower is a person who initially says to God, I know I rebelled against you. I am repenting. I am turning from that. Please don't hold my past sins against me. Please don't hold my future sins against me. Wash me, cleanse me, blot it out. And in fact, when David says, wash away my guilt, literally it's not the idea of washing one's body, it's washing one's clothes. In other words, I feel so stained and I feel so dirty. Please wash my dirty clothes. Again, repentance is required for a relationship with God. And it begins by just admitting it. Yes, I've sinned. And I'm asking you, God, according to your love and your compassion, have mercy on me. Take my sins off the record. Wash me. Cleanse me. Now, how does that happen? The only way that happens is through Christ. When Christ died on that cross, He became sin for us. Some of us studied that in science school this morning. He took on our sin. And so the reason we're able to have God blot that from our record, wash us, cleanse us, is because of the blood of Christ. His blood cleanses us from all sins. As we just sang, Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. His blood has cleansed every stain. The reason we can pray that prayer like David did, David was looking forward to the cross. We're looking back to the cross. The reason we can pray that prayer is because we have a Savior who paid it all. And if you're not a follower of Jesus and you want a relationship with God, it begins with repentance. I'm going to turn around. I'm going to stop rebelling. I'm going to stop living in sin, rebellion against God. Please, God, have mercy on me. Please, Wash my clothes, so to speak, my sinful spiritual clothes. Please cleanse me. Please don't hold me against me. Remember, repentance is required for relationship with God. And here's another reason why. Because rebellion is always against God. Rebellion's always against God. Let's look at the next few verses. Look at verse 3. David says this, For I am conscious of my rebellion, and my sin is always before me. Now notice he's taking ownership here, okay? Here's the deal. Becoming a Christ follower is not becoming a member of a church. It's not because your grandpappy did it or your grandma did it because your daddy was a deacon. It is personal responsibility. Starts with my sin, my rebellion. Verse 4, against you and you alone have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass judgment. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Again, repentance begins recognizing your rebellion for what it is. It's rebellion against God. It's, David's not saying, hey, against Bathsheba I sinned. No, he wasn't rebelling against Bathsheba. He was rebelling against God. God said, do not commit adultery. When he murdered Uriah, he wasn't rebelling against Uriah. No, he was rebelling against God. God said, thou shalt not murder. Whenever we sin, we may hurt people. But ultimately, our sin is against God. And here's the thing. You and I will never experience a relationship with God unless we take ownership. I've sinned. I've rebelled. Please blot this out. Please wash me. 
please cleanse me. Please don't hold me against me. And I did it against you, God, and you alone. You're the one that I sin. Because listen, sin or rebellion is always against God. When you and I rebel against God, sin against God, we cannot have a relationship with God. That's just the point. If you're living in sin, and maybe you are, maybe right now there's some sin in your life that you're holding on to, that you're living in rebellion against God, you can't have a relationship with Him. Now, if you're a Christ follower, that doesn't mean you're not going to heaven, but it means that your relationship with God is interrupted. Your prayer time is stale. Reading the word is stale. And, and David in verse 5, some people will look at this verse, and here's what David's acknowledging to God. The reality is we're all born with a sinful nature. And we're all born as sinners. We're all born in a state of hostility to God. We're all like sheep who have gone astray. David is acknowledging that, but here's the deal. He's not making an excuse for sinning. He's not saying, well, God, I couldn't help it. I was born, you know, with a sinful nature. No, okay, God, this, I do have this sinful nature, but he's not making an excuse for it. He's saying, yes, I chose to sin and against you and you alone. And, and again, let me just say, if you want a relationship with God, it's not going to be about making excuses. Well, God, I, you know, I, I know I lied, but it's not that big of a deal. That's not repentance. God, you know, I, I know I, I took a few dollars from the office, petty cash. Not that big of a deal. It's a big multi-million dollar corporation. Nobody's going to miss it. Making excuses. God, I just couldn't help it. You know, she's so pretty. I just, you know, and, and I just felt so comfortable with her. I couldn't, I couldn't help it, God. Just making excuses. That's not repentance. David could have said, yeah, I just couldn't help it, God, you know. I, I was lonely, I was tired, she's so pretty. And I couldn't help it if you're right, I didn't play the game right. No, that's not repentance. It's making excuses. David is not making excuses. He's repenting, and repentance is required for a relationship with God. Here's another reason why. Because when we repent... It results in communion with God. Here's what, God, here's what David writes in verse 6. Surely you, God, desire integrity in the inner self, and you teach me wisdom deep within. God, God desires a relationship with you. Bottom line. He doesn't have to have a relationship with you. God's perfectly content in his own trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But he desires... To have a relationship with us. That's why he created us. He desires to have a relationship with us. And, and, and so David's like, God, I know this is what you want with me. I'm coming before you. I'm admitting it. I sinned. I rebelled. It was against you. No excuses. Please blot this out. Cleanse my spiritual clothes. Please wash me. And then... As he, he, what David gives next is, I think, a picture of what happens when a person repents. And you, if you are Christ's follower, that day that you responded to Christ and you said, I know I'm a sinner, I know I've rebelled, please send me, save me. If you truly meant that, 
after you got up off your knees or driving down the road or in your chair, wherever you responded to Christ, I guarantee you, you felt something was different. You may have not seen flashing lights or angels, but you knew something was different because when we repent, there is a cleansing that happens. Look at it. David describes it, verse 7. Here's what he says. Purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out my guilt. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation and give me a willing spirit. Look at, look at these words. I mean, just, just cleanse. Look at this again. Look at these words of restoration. Purify, verse 7. Clean, wash, whiter than snow. Verse 8, joy and gladness. Rejoicing, verse 9. Guilt blotted out. Verse 10, clean heart, steadfast, steady spirit. Verse, uh, again, to be in God's presence, God's Holy Spirit, the joy of salvation, a willing spirit, all that. It's a, it's a new day. Give me that new day. Give it to me. They, those, these bones that he described in Psalm 38, they're crushed under the weight of sin. Let them rejoice again. Get rid. I don't want the guilt. I don't want the dirty feeling. Make me clean. And God can do that. God can change a corrupt heart into a clean heart. You know, there's a, a mansion in Scotland. And in one of the rooms, if you walk into the room, the walls are filled with sketches by distinguished artists. So they've like literally drawn on the walls of this mansion in Ireland. Now, how that happened is kind of a weird story because there was a famous artist visiting this mansion, uh, staying as a house guest. And when he was there, somebody tripped and spilled and soda went all over the wall. And it ran down the wallpaper and it left this real ugly stain. Well, they got up the next morning, and the family was going to go out for the day, and they invited the artist to go along with him. But he said, no, I think I'm just going to hang back here at the house and chill out. And while they were gone, he began to look at that ugly stain on the wall. And, of course, being an artist, he could see something. And so he started taking charcoal, and he started developing a sketch around the stain, and he developed this beautiful picture around the stain. And when they came back, whoa! What did you do? He took an ugly stained wall and made it beautiful. That's what God does. That's what David's asking God to do. Take this stained heart and make it beautiful. Repentance is required for a relationship with God. I want to rejoice with you. I want your spirit to fill me. I want that steadfast love. I want that relationship with you. And here's the reason. Another reason repentance is required for a relationship with God because repentance results in a powerful impact. Look at verse 13. David says, God, do all these things. Please cleanse me. Please blot this out. Please don't take your spirit from me. Please let my bones rejoice again. And then, verse 13, here's the hinge point. Then I will teach the rebellious, the sinners, your ways. 
I will. And sinners will return to you. Again, a repentant person makes an impact. Because you know what? Now here's what I've seen. In like recovery ministries and things like that. People that have been redeemed from drug addiction or alcoholism or pornography addiction, all those things, have a powerful impact. Because there's people who are addicted to drugs, and like, I just can't get free, and this person comes along and says, let me tell you something, you can, and I have, I've been clean, sober, Christ changed my life. You'll listen to that person if you're struggling with drugs. If you're struggling with greed, maybe you've thrown away your life savings and, you know, and get rich schemes and gambling and stuff, and then you meet somebody who God delivered out of gambling, and that person says, let me tell you what God did to change my heart. You'll listen to that person. And David is like, you know, if you'll cleanse me from this, okay, I'll be honest with people. I'm an adulterer. I sinned against God. I'm a murderer. I killed Uriah. God has forgiven me. My life's changed. Let me tell you what my relationship with God was like during those times I wouldn't repent. Let me tell you how my relationship with God has changed. And David's like, God, if you'll, if you'll grant repentance, if you'll, you'll grant my desire, I will have an impact for you. I will tell people your ways. Look at this, verse 14. He says, save me from the guilt of bloodshed, my of God. He says, the God of my salvation, my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. God, I will make an impact. Please forgive me. I repent. I turn. I want that relationship with you. I will make an impact. I will tell people what you've done. Again, repentance is required for relationship with God. Why? Because repentance is what God desires for restoration. Look at the reality. Look at the summary here in verses 16. You do not want a sacrifice. You have to remember, this is back in the days when they would offer animal sacrifices and all those things, which was prescribed in the law by God. But David says at the end of the day, that's not what you're after. He says, if it's just about giving an animal sacrifice, I would do it. He says, you're not pleased with a burnt offering. If it was just about having a burnt offering, I, w- I would just do that. But look at what he says in verse 17. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. God, you will not despise a broken and humble heart. You see, we don't give animal sacrifices today. Jesus fulfilled the law. That's no longer necessary. But even when the law was there and people were bringing animal sacrifices, it wasn't about the sacrifice. It was about the heart. It always was. It always is. And it always will be. David's saying, you know, at the end of the day, God, it's about the heart. So I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn from my wickedness and I want to walk to you. And I'm going to ask you to cleanse me, purify me, wash me, blot this off the record according to your love, your compassion. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. I want that relationship back. I want that steadfast spirit back. I want to feel clean again. And, and God, if you'll do this, and he will, I will tell people about you. I will share how you've cleansed me. And at the end of the day, what you really want is a contrite and repentant heart. So here's the question. Which do you want? 
Rebellion or repentance? If you live in rebellion, let me just tell you what's going to happen. If you keep saying no when God's saying don't do that and you do it anyways, your heart is going to get hard each time you do that and a little harder and a little harder. And in fact, you do it long enough, there'll come a point in your life where you almost can't repent. C.S. Lewis said there are two types of people in the world. One type who says to God, your will be done. And the other type to whom God says, okay, your will be done. Which type are you going to be? The reason David was called a man after God's own heart was not that he was a perfect man, because he wasn't. He was a sinner. The reason David was called a man after God's own heart, and in fact it was after this episode that he was actually called a man after God's own heart, was because he repented. He turned around. He acknowledged his sin. If you want a relationship with Christ, first of all, if you don't know him as your Savior, it begins with repentance. It begins with saying, God, I know I've been running from you. I know I've been rebelling against you. I've sinned against you. I I feel your conviction. I want you. I'm going to turn to you. I'm going to admit it's my sin, my rebellion. I need you as my Savior. Please cleanse me, save me, come into my heart. That's the first step. If you are a Christ follower, but you've been walking away from God, you know the feeling. Read Psalm 38 again. You know the pain. You know the crush. You know the guilt. Why keep going in that direction? Turn around. Stop quenching the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit, but if you're living in rebellion, you're just quenching Him. You're just putting Him down. You're ignoring Him. Stop doing that. Turn around, listen, and then repent. And come home to Dad. Stop running. Stop running away. It's your choice. Repentance or rebellion. Let's pray. Father, I pray that if there's anybody watching today on Facebook or anybody here in this room who has never taken the initial response to your Holy Spirit's conviction on their life that right now, in front of their computer, tablet, iPhone, or sitting in this room, right now they'll say, God, I know I am a sinner. I've rebelled. I've been rebelling. But I don't want to rebel anymore. I repent. I'm turning from my sin, and I'm turning to you. Please, Lord Jesus, save me. I accept your sacrifice on my behalf. Cleanse me of my sin. I will live for you. Father, I pray if somebody here today has never done that, that right now in their own words, they'll repent. If there's somebody here, maybe who's a Christ follower, but they've been slowly dragging themselves into rebellion, they've allowed sin to be their master, I pray right now that they'll repent. They'll turn back to you and say, Lord, I know I've been walking away from you, Father. Please cleanse me. Please purify me. I want to have that communion with you again. And I pray right now they'll repent. 
God, I pray that nobody will walk out of this room, nobody will turn off their computer and continue to live in rebellion. All of us. All of us will practice repentance. I know, Father, you never let go. You never give up on us. You pursue us. You love us. Father, I pray that if there's anybody here just running from you, they'll run now to you instead of away from you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. You know, if you're here this morning and you're like, I don't know if I'm a a believer or not, but I want to be. I'm tired of living in rebellion. We're going to sing a song, and afterwards, I hope that you'll come and talk to me. And um, let's get that straightened out. Let's not live in rebellion anymore. Because you know the feeling of guilt and dirtiness and not what you're created to feel. Feel that cleansing. It only comes through Christ.